you join me in praying? Father, as we open your word together, please open our hearts and minds to receive. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us. Encourage us, equip us, inspire us, challenge us. Lord, help us to draw closer to you and to be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? John Pemberton was in his backyard in 1885, and he was cooking something up, something that today we still consume, Coca-Cola. This was the inventor of Coke, and it actually had Coke in it, cocaine. When he made it, it was made of two different things, and one of them, where we get the first part, the cocoa, had cocaine in it. Now, it was not abnormal during this time, because in 1884, an Australian ophthalmologist discovered that if you put a few drops of cocaine on someone's eye, it makes it stand still, it helps them to absorb the pain. They discovered that Coke, cocaine, had all kinds of benefits. So as news began to spread, they started using it for eye surgeries and sinus surgeries. They used it for toothaches, depression, lethargy, alcoholism, impotence. You could buy it in a tonic. You could buy it in a powder. You could get it in cigarettes. You could even open the Sears catalog and order cocaine. You could go into a store, and there was something called Allen's Cocaine Tablets. It was a little box for 50 cents where you could just purchase cocaine. And it was claimed that it could offer relief for not only the things we've already mentioned, but also fever, throat troubles, nervousness, headaches, sleeplessness. In reality, of course, it was addictive and caused many of the very things that they thought it was healing. What happens when everybody is convinced of the truth of something that is not only wrong, but harmful? This morning, as we look at Luke chapter 5, some of the unspoken theology that Christians and people all over the world in multiple religions hold to is not only wrong, but dangerous. Open your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. You'll find it there in the pews. Luke chapter 5. You'll find that on page 1466. Luke chapter 5. We're starting in verse 1. Here is the first lie that whether we consciously or unconsciously believe this, both things can be dangerous. 
we have to seek after God. Here's how this passage starts. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this is the lake of Galilee. If you've ever been there, you can stand on one side and see all the way across to the other. The people were crowding around him, and they're listening to the word of God. He's preaching, and he's got a crowd. And they've come out to this lake, and he's got his back to it, and they're crowding around him as he teaches. Now, this is early on in Luke's gospel. However, there's some things that have already happened by the time we get to this point. Here's what's already happened. Jesus has already been going to synagogues and preaching the kingdom of God. He's already been to some cities. And so this crowd is not just random people that heard him out by a lake talking. He has already developed a following. Here's the other thing you need to know. He has already called his first disciples. He's already gone out to Peter, James, John, and a few others who were with their boats And he said, follow me, and they followed him. They have been going around with him too. So when you get to this scene, Jesus has already preached the gospel in synagogues. He's already had Peter, James, and John follow him around, and yet he is alone. Something has happened. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. So as he's preaching, he looks down the shoreline, and he sees two boats. He sees the fishermen. Now, they have been fishing at night, because that is when you net fish. The fish can't see the nets. You throw them out. You fish throughout the night. You come back, and now they're cleaning their nets, getting ready for their next time of going out. He got into one of the boats. Wow. All right, one of the things you notice in Scripture is things jump. Notice he never walked down the shore. He never did anything. It's like he's right here, he sees that, and he's stepping into a boat. Um, That happens a lot in Scripture. He didn't teleport. He did actually walk down the shoreline. But he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now remember, this is not his first encounter with Peter, who was called Simon. And you can imagine for a moment, I want you to put yourself in their shoes. The fishermen have been with Jesus for an undetermined amount of time already. They've gone through the synagogues. They've heard the preaching. They left everything behind, and now what? They are back to fishing again. Here he is teaching the crowds, and they're looking at him. You have to be wondering what they're feeling. You have to be wondering if Peter is going, please don't look over here and notice it's me. But Jesus walks right down. He steps into the boat. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. All right, to keep them from swarming him, he just gets out a little bit into the water. He sits down in the boat, which is a traditional position, and he begins to teach. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. All right, I gave you all that background because, number one, I want you to understand the story. There's a lot going on here. 
It's not just that there's some random boats and some random guy named Peter and Jesus walked down the shore and jumped in the boat. There's a history here. They started following him and now they seem to have gone back to what they're comfortable with and who is seeking after whom? Jesus is coming to them. He's not standing there waiting. I wonder if they'll notice that I'm teaching. Feel guilty and come back to me. But he goes to them. And he not only gets in the boat and utilizes the boat, but when it's done, look what happens. Put out into deep water and set down the nets for a catch. He's not done. See, he could have finished his message, got back onto the shore and took off. But he's not done with Peter. Peter may have left him, But Jesus is not done with Peter. And this is not at all abnormal for what we see in the scriptures. Think about a few parables that Jesus tells. Everybody knows about the one and the 99, right? The shepherd who leaves the 99 to seek after the one. That is then followed by a story of a woman who sweeps her entire house. Why? To find a coin. That is then followed by the story of the prodigal son, where you have a father who spends every moment standing on the porch, waiting, looking. And when his son shows up, the father doesn't do this. All right, let's see if he's got a good apology. He runs to his son. His son, the story tells us, has been going over and over in his head what he's going to say to his father. Do you ever do that? Like as you're coming into a meeting and you're like rehearsing what you're going to say, the son is rehearsed and the son begins to tell the father. And the father is so excited to see the son, the son can't even finish what he was going to say. The father cuts him off. One of the most famous verses in scripture, God gave his son to save the world. God gave. We didn't ask. Jesus once said, to a crowd, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And where did you find Jesus quite often? Hanging out with the sinners who needed him most. Jesus didn't go somewhere and then wait for the sinners to come to him. He walks up to Matthew, the tax collector, and says, you follow me. And now, hey, where do you live? I want to go throw a party and invite all your friends. This is our God. He seeks after humanity he seeks after you he's not just waiting for you to get it all right he's not waiting for you to go i have to get to god instead our god seeks after people so in my home i have a superpower it's not necessarily a superpower i want Like, I'd like to have a superpower of maybe strength. I'd like to be known as, like, super strong dad. Or maybe a superpower of, I don't know, flying. I'd really like to fly. I'd like to have a superpower, but this is my superpower. And and my wife has kind of labeled it the finder of all things. So when people lose things in our house, hey, finder, can you go look for this? I mean, it could be anything. Keys, socks, doesn't matter. Things are lost. And here's the ridiculous thing, and this is where the superpower comes. Somebody will say, hey, have you seen this little plastic thing that's black and circular? And Oh, yeah. Actually, I have. 
Um, it's over in a cupboard on the third floor toward the right. For some reason, those kinds of details just stick with me. And I saw it a day or two ago, but didn't think anything of it. Or somebody goes, hey, I'm looking for this black sock. Now, tell me you haven't lost socks. I mean, everybody loses socks. Oh, that sock is actually, no, that's beyond my ability. I cannot find the socks. I can find everything else, but not the socks. The finder. One time, although it happened multiple times, we lost our cat. We've lost our cat numerous times. And here's the scary thing. Every time we lose the cat... It's always when somebody is doing work in our house. So what happens, of course, is the cat goes and hides. But what we know is the door has been opened and closed closed numerous times. And we're like, where is the cat? The person has left and the cat is gone. And so then we all go crazy searching for the cat. And I remember one time, I went and I looked underneath our bed. Now, I use the underneath part of our bed to store everything that it will fit nowhere else. There has got to be, I don't know how much stuff underneath our bed, but I looked, no cat, we looked everywhere, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, I think I remember, no, I think the cat's under the bed. I went and looked. There is this little tiny area that maybe a mouse could fit in, and our cat has somehow squeezed himself into that little tiny area. Like, oh, we all breathe a sigh of relief. There's the cat. So I start going, come here, Mittens. He just stares at me. Mittens, come on. Nothing. No movement. And of course, we have a king-size bed, and the cat is right in the middle of the bed. And so there's no way for me to get, well, I'd have to move everything anyway. Even if I could get under that bed, I couldn't get under that bed. I found the cat. I am calling for the cat. I've used my superpower. The cat still has to respond. Our God seeks after people. That's who we serve. He is seeking after every single person in this room. He wants you to follow, and to be his disciple, and to be his child. But we still have to respond. And that's actually what Peter does. Go back into your text. Verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And and this is what I envision going on with Peter in this moment. Um, He has enormous respect for Jesus, and you'll see that later on in the passage. No doubt about it. However, Jesus is not a fisherman. Peter is a fisherman. What in the world does a rabbi know about fishing? And so I can imagine Peter almost rolling his eyes although he's probably so exhausted he can barely do that. Because remember, he's been doing this all night. And then he just sat through a sermon. Who knows how long that was? And he's exhausted. And here's Jesus going, now, let's go out and put the nets out into deep water. And Peter's going, oh, God, I've got a headache. I'm exhausted. We've already tried this. It's never going to work. Clearly, you don't know what you're doing because you can't fish during the day. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. That is probably one of the most important buts in Peter's entire life. Choosing to follow and to listen even when he didn't want to. 
He was too tired to. He didn't think it would work. He thought it was stupid. But he does it anyway because Jesus asked him to do it. And it changes the course of his life. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, come and help. Hey, sometimes what they'll do is if they get enough fish, is they can actually put the nets between the boats and pull it in that way. And they came and they filled both boats so full, they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, and I think this is the reason that we find Peter no longer following Jesus, but he's over on the shoreline fishing. I think the reason the others are probably there is because Simon was always their leader. But I believe this is the reason that he followed Jesus around for a while, and then he gave up. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Here's the second lie that most of us on some level believe. We have to be holy to be good enough for God. See, here's what Peter understands. Peter gets Jesus is a holy man. He is righteous. He is close to God. Peter gets that. Peter also gets this. He's sinful. Peter messes up. Peter is so far away from the holiness of Jesus, he gets that. Here's what Peter doesn't get. He doesn't understand what that means. What he thinks it means is the same thing that so many of us at times think that that means. God's not interested in me. God doesn't want to hear my prayers. I can't come to God. I've got to go get things right first. Then I can come to God. That is the basis of the majority of the religions of the world. We've got to get things right. We've got to take all the steps. Then I'll achieve it. That is so opposite of Christianity. You see, Peter got the holiness. He got the sinfulness. But he also had this message. I'm not good enough. I feel guilty. I don't feel right being in your presence. And oh my goodness, you just showed me again how close you are to God because you did a miracle. Only holy men can do miracles. Lord, get away from me. I'm so sinful. In Christianity, we should never believe that lie. The opposite is true. Jesus has made us holy. Jesus has forgiven our sins. Jesus has said, instead of you putting distance between us because of your sinfulness, will you do this? Will you praise me for my mercy? Will you honor me with your life because of the grace and the love and the sacrifice I've made to bring you into relationship with me? Don't tell me to go away. Don't try to walk over and get everything right in your life before you come to me. Because I don't know about you, how long is it going to take for you to get everything right in your life? And then when are you going to screw that up once you do? The lie is we have to be holy enough to be good enough for God. The truth is, he sought us. He brings holiness into our lives. 
he brings mercy and grace and says, will you praise me and follow me and serve me because of what I've given to you? Because there's so much I can do. Keep going. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I want to show you something that Jesus did through this passage. Just listen to this. Jesus took what Peter is and used him for the glory of God. Number one, he used a boat for a pulpit. The boat is what Peter brings to the equation. Jesus used it for his pulpit to preach out of. Number two, he used the language of fishermen to give them a spiritual mission. You will fish for people. Because Jesus can take what you are and what you bring and use it for the kingdom, no matter what that is. I want to introduce you to a dog. The dog's name is Stubby. His name is Stubby because he is a stray pit bull mix who has little tiny legs. And he was named Stubby. In 1917, Stubby stumbled onto the Yale University campus while the 102nd Infantry Regiment were training. Private J. Robert Conroy thought the dog was so awesome that he invited him in to do the drills with him. And this dog got attached to the 102nd Infantry. He went, he was smuggled, he went, he was smuggled into France, into the trenches for the war. Now I'm going to read you Stubby's experience. Stubby was exposed to mustard gas but survived. He ended up getting his own specially designed doggy gas mask for the rest of the war. The exposure combined with his heightened sense of smell allowed him to warn the 102nd Infantry of imminent poison gas attacks. He also learned to recognize and find wounded soldiers during patrols. Not only that, at one point... He actually spotted a German spy, and little Stubby attacked the man, and the man was so shocked that it stumbled him back, and others were able to come and help, and Stubby was then promoted to sergeant. He had a rank above his owner. He would go for 18 months in service, participate in 17 battles, survived a series of wounds, and provided a morale boost to the fellow soldiers. This is a dog with stubby legs. He cannot carry a gun. He cannot speak English. And yet, when this dog was open to being used, he did some rather incredible things. He would come back to the States and he would lead parades. People loved stubby. What do you think God can do with his people when they understand 
Number one, God is seeking you, even more than you're seeking him. Number two, you do not have to be good enough. You have to accept the goodness and grace and mercy of God in your life. You have to accept his goodness and be willing to praise him and serve him because of the mercy that he's put in your life. It doesn't matter how we start. It matters how we end. In 1929, it took that long. Remember, 1885 is when cocaine was put into Coca-Cola. Over time, little bits were removed as they learned some of its negative effects. But in 1829, it was completely removed from Coca-Cola. That is almost 100 years ago. They had to take away something that was so fundamental to this beverage. And yet, when they took the lie away, has Coca-Cola had any issues thriving? If you wonder, as I said last week, please just come over to our house. You will see Coca-Cola is thriving. So can the people of God when they'll reject the lies and accept the truth. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that in your word you consistently seek after people. And we know that today you still do the same. For anyone here who is feeling distant from you, anyone here who feels like they don't really know you, Father, thank you that you are seeking. Help all of us to receive you. Help all of us to recognize that, yes, we have sin. Yes, we mess up. But that isn't a reason to turn away. Rather, it's a reason to accept the mercy and the grace that you give and to praise you and to follow you all the days of our life. In the name of Jesus, amen.